Sermons from Union Chapel Baptist Church. So we're continuing our series through the book of Matthew. And we're in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 32. And the title of today's message is Jesus Above Everything. Last week we saw how we should endure persecution. And the last point we saw last week that Jesus taught us that we should not fear man, but we should actually fear and trust God. And this week we pick it back up in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 10, and we will see how Jesus continues his instructions to his disciples. He's sending them out. He said before that he's sending them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and share the good news of this kingdom. And he's continuing to give them instructions and encouragement. This is the last section of this encouragement and instruction here. And we'll see four main points today. We'll see first how we should confess Jesus as Lord. And then second, we should see Jesus above family. And third, Jesus above suffering. And lastly, fourth, we'll see the reward for supporting the mission. And that comes from Dr. Turner, that fourth point. So first, confess Jesus as Lord. Starting in verse 32, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Now here we see a central point of the Christian life. The central point of Jesus' message, the good news, is that we have the opportunity for Jesus to acknowledge us before God in heaven. Before, before we get into that section, what that means for us and why that's good news, I want to look at what does it mean for us to acknowledge Jesus before others? Because that's the requirement. We have to do that in order for Jesus to acknowledge us. And to acknowledge Jesus, this is not merely a head nod, and I know, or um, a wave to say, I know something about Jesus. That's not, an, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He, he's already talked about how we are to be witnesses of him. We are to tell people who he is and what he's done. And I think here he's not talking about just an external witness of, of a message, but someone who really believes the message they are proclaiming, the message they are sharing. Because Paul uses the same word, acknowledge, in Romans 10.9, in the sense of acknowledging and confessing Jesus as Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess, that is, if you acknowledge, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. In Romans 10.10, one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. So to acknowledge Jesus before others in Matthew 10.32 is to confess Jesus as Lord. It's to confess Jesus as your God, Savior, and King before others. And again, remember, Jesus is sending his disciples out like sheep among wolves. They will face rejection. They will face persecution. So Jesus encourages them to remain faithful. They said to remain faithful to him. If they acknowledge Jesus as Lord before others, and if they are not ashamed, Jesus will not be ashamed of them. 
and will actually acknowledge them before God the Father. So the second question is, what does it mean for Jesus to acknowledge us before the Father? I think it's likely similar to Romans 10.10, which we saw that we saw the promise of salvation, the promise of everlasting life for confessing Jesus as Lord. For the one who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord. The idea of salvation for the believer, the one who endures, the one who is faithful in the midst of persecution is present in Revelation 3.5, in which Jesus uses the same word, acknowledge, confess, to communicate that we have eternal life before God the Father. Revelation 3.5 says, the one who conquers, that, that is the one who endures persecution, that, that is the one who remains faithful, the one who conquers will be clothed thus with white garments. And Jesus says, I will never blot out his name out of the book of life, but he, will, he says, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. As Dr. Beale notes that the idea here may be that Jesus will actually read the believer's name out of the book of life in recognition of their final salvation. So in Matthew 10.32, we are to confess and acknowledge Christ before all people. We are to share the good news of the kingdom, not be ashamed to be a follower of Jesus, but believing with all our heart and which overflows to our speech and actions. So here we see that it is Jesus' acknowledgement of us and his, his confession of us is to an audience of one, to God the Father. And what is at stake is eternal salvation. Eternal salvation is in the balance. So it doesn't matter if your friends, if your family, or anyone else speak on your behalf in this moment. It matters whether Jesus, the Son of God, speaks on your behalf. Because you may be able to clean up your life. You may be able to fool others, but you can't fool Jesus. He knows whether you trust in Him as your God, Savior, and King. He knows whether your name is written in the book of life. And if it is, he will say so. He will say before God on the day of judgment. For that is the scene Jesus is referring to. It's the scene of the final judgment in which God takes his seat to judge between the righteous and the unrighteous, the believing and the unbelieving. To sentence to eternal death or to eternal life. So it is vital. It is necessary that the only way to be made right with God the Father is through the Son. No other lawyer, no jury, no other evidence can exonerate you before the judgment seat of God other than having Jesus as your mediator, having Jesus as your Savior, having Jesus say to his Father, He is with me. I took the punishment that he deserved. His name is written in the book of life. Now, this is the greatest encouragement to us in the midst of persecution to stay faithful because Christ has loved us and he will stay faithful to us. This is also the greatest encouragement to continue to share about Jesus and what he has done. So others, too, can be acknowledged before God the Father and receive eternal life. 
So this promise of salvation for the one who acknowledges Jesus, who confesses him as Lord before others, also comes with a warning. Verse 33, Jesus says, But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Now I think this warning can speak in two directions. First, we, see, we can see it as a warning to followers of Jesus to remain faithful to him to endure to the end, not succumb to the persecution and sufferings of life, and reject Jesus as your God and Savior and King. Because faith in Jesus is the only way to a right relationship to the Father. So therefore, in other words, without faith, without trust in Jesus, exhibited in the acknowledgement and confession and witness of Him before others, then Jesus says He will not acknowledge you before His Father. If you reject Jesus to be your mediator, then don't expect him to be your mediator on the final judgment. In denying Jesus in this life, Jesus will deny you in the life to come. He will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And tell his father that your name is not written in the book of life. We should take this warning seriously to endure, to remain faithful, to acknowledge Jesus before others. And then the second way that this warning can speak is by implication to the persecutors. This is a warning that says if you continue in your persecution, if you continue in your rejection and denial of Jesus as Lord, then there are eternal consequences. Not only are you missing out on eternal life and a restored relationship with with God the Father, but you will face eternal death and punishment, being denied by the Son of God before His Father. Now, one important note here on this section is that we know that the Apostle Peter, he heard this warning firsthand from Jesus, and he will face persecution, and he will actually deny Jesus three times. He will reject him three times. John 13, 38, for that reference. However, we also see Peter's return to faith and love of Jesus in John 21, 15. Because even though we may be temporarily faithless, that is, we may temporarily fail to trust in Jesus and follow him as we should, God is faithful to his promises, even when we are not. He is patient, and while we still have breath, we can return to God and trust in him. And he will forgive us. He will forgive us of even our very rejection of him. Because that is the God we serve. We serve a faithful and patient God. We see Paul write about this uh, same topic in 2 Timothy 2.11. He says, This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Because that's who he is. God is faithful to his promises. And he's promised us that if we come to him in repentance and trust in him, he will forgive us all our sins. So if you have denied Jesus, if you have rejected him as your God, Savior, and King, Jesus is a God who is faithful, gracious, and knows you, and is willing to really know you, willing to let you into his family and acknowledge you before his Father. But here today also this warning We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We are not even guaranteed the next second. So while you still have a chance, while there is still breath in your lungs, 
confess Jesus as your Lord today. Now, if you have been following along with us through the book of Matthew, you already know that following Jesus is the greatest thing that you could do. God created us to honor him, to follow him in obedience. That's what he created us to do. And if you're following along through the book of Matthew with us, you already know, you already know that just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean that life will be free from struggles and suffering. And Jesus warns us again and, pre- and prepares us for these sufferings in verse 34. And we, turn, and we turn to our second point. We see Jesus above family. Verse 34. Jesus says, Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Hold up a second. Um, Christmas season's coming up. I'm already starting to listen to Christmas music. And there's a song, one of my favorites, that says, Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. So what's going on? And we also read in Luke. This is, you know, we see Luke 2.11. He says, Today in the city of David, this is the proclamation of the angel. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. So while Jesus does come to bring peace on earth, he offers peace with God through his death and resurrection, Romans 5, 1. He also offers peace with other people, with one another, because we are united together in Christ through faith, Ephesians 2, 15. However, for those who reject Jesus, those who refuse to join and be a part of his kingdom... They are then against his kingdom. And as we saw two weeks ago, Jesus told his disciples when they go out in Matthew 10, 12, he says, greet a household when you enter it. And if the household is worthy, that is, if they accept the message of Jesus and they accept the message of the kingdom, they're worthy. And he says, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. So in rejecting Jesus... Rejecting the message of his kingdom, they also reject his peace, and they await condemnation. So when Jesus says in verse 34, he says, Don't assume that I come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. We must be sure not to miss the point. We cannot misunderstand Jesus' mission. We cannot assume that life will be free of difficulty free of persecution. It will not be without conflict. And Jesus says he's come to bring a sword. And Jesus explains what he means by this. Verse 35. He says, I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. So the sword Jesus brings is a sword of division, the sword of separation. Jesus has already warned and prepared his disciples for this in Matthew 10, 21. That because of following Jesus, even your own family may turn, turn against you. So this is such an important topic. Jesus mentions it again here. And the language Jesus uses is from Micah 7, 6. While Jesus does not introduce this as an Old Testament fulfillment, perhaps this represents, as Blomberg suggests, 
a recurring pattern of hostility that we see in the Old Testament on the part of God's opponents. And perhaps he goes on to say that maybe he quotes or references Micah 7.6 to hopefully put in the minds the next verse of Micah 7.7 that would look forward to salvation brought in Christ. So sometimes persecution will come from the outside. Those you may not know, like the authorities. But sometimes the even tougher persecution, the deeper wounds, the deeper cuts, could be from those you love the most. Maybe the the people, the kids you have raised. Those who you long to be at peace with more than anyone else. Jesus says sometimes your own family will be your enemies. And in light of the rejection by even your own family, Jesus warns us. Verse 37. He says, The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So Jesus puts two options before us. First is our family, the people we love the most, the people who we have spent the most time with, the people who mean the most to us. And second, he places himself before us and asks, who do you love more? Do you love me or do you love them more? Who do you value more? Who, if it came down to it, who would you choose? Would you choose Jesus or someone else? If you choose to deny Jesus and instead confess to love your family or someone, or someone else more than Jesus, then he warns that you are not worthy of him. This same idea of being worthy describes the person who accepts the message of Jesus in the kingdom of God in Matthew 10, 11. So if you love your family, if you value them more, if your loyalty is to them if your loyalty to them or anyone else actually supersedes that of your love and loyalty to Jesus, then you have basically rejected the message about Jesus and his kingdom. Now what I'm, I want us to be clear here as well, this is not to be taken out of context and be used for pastors, preachers, teachers, and people in the church to neglect their family. We are called to love our family and take care of them. In in the context here, Jesus is talking about if your family is persecuting you and has rejected you because you follow Jesus, Jesus says, don't deny me so you can get them. That's what he's talking about here. And Jesus widens this. It's not just about loyalty to family. It's not just about love to family. Jesus is worthy of our whole life. And so he is above even suffering. We'll see in verse 38. He says, and whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, to understand the extent of devotion, the extent of loyalty Jesus is calling for, I'm going to read R.T. France's historical dimensions and this imagery of the crucifixion. So the crucifixion was a punishment favored by the Romans, but regarded with horror by most Jews and was by now familiar in Roman Palestine as a form of execution for slaves and political rebels. 
It was thus not only the most cruel form of execution then in use, but it also carried the stigma of social disgrace when applied to a free person. To have a member of the family crucified was the ultimate shame. Crucifixion drew universal scorn and mockery. And that public disgrace, as well as physical suffering, began not only when the condemned man was fixed to the cross, but with equally public procession through the streets in which the victim had to carry the cross on his back, among the jeers and insults of the crowd. France goes on to say, that is the prospect Jesus holds out before any worthy disciple. A savage death and public disgrace. Jesus himself will literally go through that experience, and he offers his followers the same prospect. So Jesus, again, puts two options before us. The first is comfort. Lack of physical pain, lack of ridicule. You can escape public disgrace, escape from a painful death. The second is the cross. The first option of comfort and temporary life would require the disciple to reject and deny Jesus. The second option is what it would look like for his disciples to endure persecution, to remain faithful to Christ in the midst of persecution. Jesus presents this paradoxical way of endurance and salvation this way in verse 39. He says, anyone who finds his life will actually lose it. Anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Now, since it's somewhat flipped imagery and it's paradoxical, I feel like Turner is helpful and he summarizes. He says, only when we are willing to sacrifice our life and the relationship to even our family, for the sake of Jesus, do we begin to live. And not only begin to live, but we can find eternal life. For if you deny Christ to avoid persecution, you will find and may be able to add a few years to your life now on earth. But Jesus says, That if you find that life, if you find those temporary years by avoiding persecution, by denying him and avoiding the cross, you will actually lose eternal life. In contrast, if you remain faithful to Christ, if you trust and follow him, even to the point of death and persecution, then you will find eternal life. And finding eternal life is, again, centered upon one relationship to Jesus, remaining faithful to him. And we see this relationship to Jesus exhibited in our last point, reward for supporting the mission in verse 40. So Jesus says in verse 40, the one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. So as Jesus is concluding his instructions to his disciples, he reminds them of who they are being sent by. He reminds them of the authority They are going under. They are not acting on their own accord for their own glory. They are Jesus' ambassadors. They are Jesus' messengers. So when someone accepts the messenger, they are in fact accepting and welcoming the one who sent the message. And if they welcome Jesus, that means they also welcome God the Father who sent him. Again, there is no other way to the Father except through the Son. And Jesus gives his disciples the responsibility to share the message with others. 
For how will they know how to be made right with God if no one tells them? Romans 10, 14. And as Turner points out, despite the potentially horrific difficulties to come, the disciples will find people who respond positively to the message of Jesus and treat them hospitably. So we should find encouragement in this. But we should not get prideful or uh, be puffed up in thinking that they, people are accepting and welcoming us because we are so great and we are awesome. It's not about us. We are just the messengers. So when they accept us and they accept our message, we should rejoice because they have welcomed and accepted God in his kingdom. And Jesus promises that they will receive a reward for welcoming God's messengers. Verse 41 He says, anyone who welcomes a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he is righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. So since Jesus is instructing his disciples here, they are his messengers. He perhaps is also referring to his disciples as prophets. Because in a sense, they are speaking on behalf of God. Because they are sharing the message about his kingdom. And perhaps also he's referring to to his disciples as the righteous ones. For they have repented of their sins and they're seeking to follow after him, live rightly, obeying God's law. And just as uh, when people accept God's messenger, in reality they accept God himself because he sent them, so too will people receive God's reward when they receive his messengers and the reward for the righteous so God's, me- God's messenger. So the reward for the righteous, God's messengers, and those who accept God's messengers, the, this reward is the ultimate eternal life in the kingdom of God. So that his disciples, they will receive the kingdom of God. They will receive eternal life. And they are offering the same reward to those they go out and tell. Jesus taught about this in Matthew uh, 5.10. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely slay every kind of evil, evil against you because of me. And he says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in light of enduring persecution, Dr. Quarles points out that We see the divine reversals appear in the Beatitudes. We see the poor will reign. The mourners will be comforted. The hungry will be filled. So one expects the reward to involve the reversal of persecution suffered. Human insults will be replaced by divine commendation. Human rejection and harassment will be replaced by divine acceptance and favor. For Jesus points to the eternal reward in Matthew 10, 42. He says, Whoever gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Here Jesus refers to his disciples as one of these little ones because we are like sheep. Jesus is our shepherd. We are dependent on him in all things. We are to be like children dependent and ever trusting in Jesus. And if someone accepts us by showing hospitality, 
perhaps by just merely giving us a cup of cold water because of we are his disciples implies that they also accept the message that they that Jesus promises that they will receive a reward that they can never lose and here Jesus emphasizes the acceptance of the messenger because he is a disciple of Jesus he doesn't emphasize the means he is able to provide for the disciple Jesus actually commends the person who gives a mere cup of water. As Dr. Keener points out how there's actually a Roman historian who ridicules an emperor who rewarded a man for something as insignificant as cool water. But Jesus rejects that sort of aristocratic perspective and values whatever sacrifice one can offer to show that he embraces the messengers. This should encourage his disciples to share the message of the kingdom. Look forward to those who will be hospitable and, and that others can receive eternal life and the eternal reward through their message. So don't be unaware. See the importance. See the necessity. See the eternal reward of confessing Jesus as your Lord. No matter what may come, remain faithful. Remain faithful to Him in the midst of trials and persecutions. The reward is great, and we can offer this reward to others. Thanks for listening. For more information, see unionchapelbaptist.org.